Welcome, Pewter Report readers, listeners, and viewers to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized on a Victory Monday podcast as the Buccaneers have finished the 2021 regular season. 13 and 4, Scott, a franchise record number of wins for a season. Scott Reynolds from PewterReport.com with me today on the show. And Scott, probably feels good for you. You've been covering this team a long time. You've never seen him get to 13 wins before. Even no. with the 17th game, you'll take it, I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, it's it's an amazing accomplishment for this team. And, and not just the fact that, that they were 11 and 5 last year, but the fact that they've had these back-to-back monumental seasons, obviously winning the Super Bowl last year, this year, mm-hmm. not just even 13 and 4, going 7 and 1 at home. I mean, gosh, if right. not for that absolute clunker of a game against the Saints, they would have had an undefeated home record for the first time in franchise history, but still 7 and 1, such an amazing accomplishment for this team which which even even under Bruce Arians' first season, the road record was better than the home record. So mm-hmm. It's been a long time coming for these Buccaneer fans that go to the stadium, the season ticket holders. I remember back in 2014, Levy Smith's first season as head coach. John, this team did not win a single home game that year. Yeah. Imagine throwing down thousands of dollars for you and your family for season tickets to go see your Tampa Bay Buccaneers play and not seeing one friggin' win all yeah. season. Right. It's an amazing accomplishment for this team. And the reason why that's key, the 7-1, and one, John, is because with the second seed, which the Buccaneers earned yesterday with the 41-17 win over the Panthers, combined with that San Francisco upset out there in L.A., the Buccaneers now have one home playoff game. If they win against the Eagles, they'll have another home playoff game. That's critical mm-hmm. because Tampa Bay is so much better at home than on the road. Right, and you'll see what happens with the NFC Championship game. Obviously, we're going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit when we're talking about that kind of stuff. But that's what's the road that's laid out there for the Bucks. The only team they'd have to face on the road in the NFC playoffs is the Packers if they get matched up in the NFC Championship game. So we'll see. You're right. That does play to their advantage. I think getting that two seed was great. I love the video that they had, kind of the locker room and everything. It was pretty cool uh, to see their reactions and everything as they realized they got the two seed as they saw the 49ers intercept that pass against the Rams and some other teams kind of limping into the playoffs too, which we'll talk about today. We're also going to talk about our top three offensive and defensive hits and misses from this past season. Things we thought were going to be the case going into the season that didn't turn out that way or turned out exactly how we hoped they would turn out uh, as the season went underway. Um, We're going to talk about those in the show uh, today as well. But first, Scott, we got to talk about our friends over at Celsius. Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. I got this one in the koozie today because I forgot to grab one from oh, the nice. fridge. Um, so, yeah, I got the sparkling watermelon here. But there's so many great flavors, Scott, and there's no sugar in them, yet the taste is unbelievable. It's like they've figured out this cheat code to making the best energy drink, plus there's sure no did. crash like there is with other energy drinks. It's incredible. Yeah, it really is. And uh, to me, that's the big thing is, is, listen, after a late night last night, I didn't get done work until around 1 a.m., and tonight, there's the national championship game, um, Georgia, which my wife's from Georgia, so I, I'm, a, I'm a big Bulldogs fan, going up against Alabama. And you know what? I, I bet on Alabama on the money line on my bookie, John. So I'm covered either way. <laughs> either I lose the money and Georgia wins, and I'm happy. Or if Georgia loses, then, then Bama gets me money in my pocket. But I needed this Celsius today, not just to get me up this morning, but also to keep me up for the game tonight and that's the beauty of celsius is you get that energy that you need without the crash 
Yep, absolutely. It's great stuff. So you can check it out. Click the banner ads at pewterreport.com or go to celsius.com. Use the store locator and find out where they are selling Celsius near you. Uh, Scott, we are diving into this matchup here with the kind of looking ahead a little bit at some points on today's show. But first, we are going to kind of look back a little bit because there's not much time to wrap up a regular season. We'll obviously take time to look at the team as a whole once yes. the playoffs are over. And and we, however that ends for the Bucks will determine what a lot of that conversation looks like. But I think it's important to look back at the regular season, too, and just kind of evaluate what happened this year and, and where the team is at, too, going into the playoffs because of right. that. And so having said that, we've kind of got our top three offensive hits and offensive misses of this past season for our thought processes and things that we were thinking going into the year would be the case. And maybe they didn't turn out that way or maybe they turned out exactly how we thought they would turn out. So why don't you go first and give me your top three hits of the offensive season and then i'll jump in with mine and we'll see how much how many times we cross paths with these well john i um i misunderstood your your text earlier so i have three <laughs> things that i nailed and three things that i missed period so period. Oh, okay yeah so um I, i'll just i'll start with with what i i nailed uh i nailed the bucks 13 and 4 record not in mm. my weekly predictions but in my srs fab five which i'm actually i'm gonna uh going to post here in the chat so people can follow along at home if they want to. Uh, I actually had some really good stuff, probably my best year prognosticating in, uh, right. in quite some time. Um, so <laughs> that that's, it, it was, it was interesting to me because I went back and looked at this before I came on the, the pod and the 13 and four record was comprised of the bucks sweeping the Saints, of course, they lost both of those games, but I had mm. the Bucks losing to the Bills and the Colts. And they right. almost lost to the Bills because they beat them in overtime. They almost lost to the Colts because <laughs> they were down so many points on there. Yeah. But I also had the Bucks losing to the Rams on the road and also to Washington. So Ooh, that's a little going. bit of, of a Nostradamus there. Not, yeah. not a whole bunch, but that's that's one of the things that I nailed. Um, one of the things that I, that I didn't nail was – was I had Devin White as the Bucks defensive MVP, and uh, I'm just mm. really disappointed in how he's played this year. Uh, he had just he's done two things wrong. He's not been the playmaker, the splash play guy that he was the first two seasons. We haven't seen as many sacks, haven't seen as many takeaways as he's capable of doing. And so I, I think that that's a real concern. I talked to Bruce Arians about that today on the conference call, John, and. When you look at at Devin White's last three games, they've been without Levante David. You're looking at four tackles at Carolina, two tackles against the Jets on the road, and then three tackles yesterday. John, Devin White played 65 snaps and had three tackles. Yeah. And I don't like these statistical comparisons because they're, they're kind of out of context. But K.J. Britt played seven snaps yesterday and had three tackles. So <laughs> that's just kind of mind boggling to me. And uh, it's, it's the fact that Devin struggles to get off blocks. And, and so if, if you're not being that splash play guy, at least be the consistent steady Eddie, right? At least be the guy that's going to get 10, 12 tackles a game, like he's capable of doing. And he hasn't yeah. done either one of those. And so well, um, when I look at the fact, this guy's a, a first team, you know, or I shouldn't say first team, but first alternate pro bowler. Yeah. I mean, and, and what, in what alternate universe is that happening? Because right. he has and, not been anywhere close to a yeah. Pro Bowler this year, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and there's a ballot going around for the NFL top 100. Johnny from probably a player. Yeah, that I saw somebody who who was it that put? Oh, am I muted? I don't think. Can you hear me? I can't hear you. Oh yeah, I'm not muted. I don't think. Shout on the chat if you can. can anyone hear else me, hear John? I don't think I'm muted. Unless the program automatic. No, I don't think I'm muted. I think you can hear me. John, are you there? Maybe. Yeah, I'm here. I can't can hear, hear you. Wow. I don't know what happened there. But anyway, as long as people in the chat can hear me, <laughs> I hope they can. It says I'm connected and that y'all can hear me. Yeah, they can hear both of us. Everybody can hear so. <laughs> um, I don't know why they can't hear you, but uh, it looks like um, one of the things I was going to say about Devin White, just in, in terms of what you were talking about with him, is that there is right now, like still around the league, this idea that he is – a premier league player in the league. Like, and, and you saw, I think Paul sent us, there's like a, a clip going around, like our, a, a screenshot of a player's ballot for the NFL top 100. And he's like 14th in the league amongst all players, not at linebacker in the league amongst all players. Like he's listed there as 14th on that. Um, it's crazy. Like there's just such a difference in opinion with Devin white and M Proctor here says D white can't play without David. And, you know, I don't know that there's even the correlation. Like, I'm just being honest with people. I don't really know that, like, Devin White, his sack numbers pulled a lot of people last year. Like, it wasn't like Devin White had, was posting this great tape. He just got these sacks and they were splash plays and they wore people's mind. I tried saying this last year and I got attacked all the time, Scott. People coming after me all the time. And now this year, those numbers are down. I think it's easier for people to see it maybe a little bit. And yeah, the last couple of games, he's been even more putrid than, than normal yeah. for sure. But yeah, I just really, you know, the playoffs were great last year. And I said that, and, and this is why Devin White's in my hits and my misses, because I was more critical of him than probably anybody last year. And I said, like, I really have high, significant concerns about his game. Then he went in the playoffs and he played great. And I said, coming out of that, yeah. I was like, he looks like the light bulbs come on and maybe he could be, remember, he was by a poll of 50, I believe it was, NFL executives, coaches, personnel people, all those, all the above, scouts too. Devin White was listed as the best linebacker, the best off-ball linebacker in the NFL going right. into this season, Scott. That was how yeah. ridiculous the hype was going into the year. And I said, for me, he wasn't – I think he was maybe 10th or 11th for me in my rankings that I did for PeterReport.com over the summer. But I said he's got the chance to kind of play himself into that. that was a, with a look ahead. Right. You know, and it's a weak linebacker crop across the league right now, to yeah. be honest, outside the top couple guys. So I thought he could get there. So kind of both, like I've been real about his struggles, but I did think it was going to click into place this year after watching it him in the playoffs. It looked like it in the playoffs. That right? Saints game yeah. in the playoffs is still one of the best games I've ever seen by a linebacker. Yeah. Like not just the pick at the end, like everything he did, he made he was just unbelievable, and he just cannot channel that on a regular basis. I'm. It yeah. gets to the point now where we're you know we're going to head into the playoffs and we'll see what happens in the playoffs. But you go into year four and it's a it's a big year for him. I, I don't think there's anything guaranteed about what. His, I mean, his obviously his fifth year option, I'm sure, will be picked up. But yeah. long term future, he needs to make a big leap in year four. I think, no question. Yeah, he, about that. he really does, and this has actually been quite damning because listen, Levante David's not going to play forever, right? And if you want the mantle to be to be passed, the torch to be passed, I should say, from from Levante David to Devin White, then Devin White needs to play like Levante David to a degree, right? And, right. and this guy is not in the class of Derek Brooks. Levante, David, Hardy Nickerson, the three best linebackers in franchise history. I mean, he's not even up to Shelton Quarles' level of play, if we're being honest. 
I mean, I mean, what you're seeing, man, (laughs) yeah, what you're seeing is a a more athletic, faster version, a bigger version of Quan Alexander, you know, whose whose instincts are just not that great. I mean, he gets by on speed and athleticism and. And I want to see more from Devin. I think he has it in him. I'm mm-hmm. not bashing Devin. This is not a hate Devin podcast by any means. I want him to be in, in that caliber. But it's clear he has taken a step back this year. And it's just been damning that that in these three games without Levante David, that you have not seen Devin get at least 10, 12 tackles and kind of be the yeah. guy that he usually is with, with Levante. Right. Yeah, and Cameron brings up a pretty good point here. The worst part of Devin is White is that I think Devin White thinks he's the best linebacker in the league yes. too, and this is what it's going to come down to with Devin White. Yes. How accepting, how secure are you? I mean, I'll, let's step outside of football, Scott. If you were going to grow as a human being in anything that you do, you need to have self-awareness to what you your limitations to. are and to what you're not good at. Like if you came to yeah. me and were like, you know, you're great on the pod, but you're just not a very good writer. Like if I yeah. took that and was like, you know, I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm a great writer. I don't know what you're talking about. Like then I wouldn't read books and study grammar and all the things that I need to be better at what I right. do. So I think it's just going to be huge for Devin White to be able to look at the last few games and say, man, I've played terrible. I need to play a lot better. And when you talk to him, it's the only impression we get. So it could totally be the image he puts off for us. Right. When you talk to him, he is somebody who very much hates to focus on anything negative. You can yes. tell right away. They come off of a disappointing game. He's talking about like the next thing. And I get that's his mindset. And I get right. that. But he's rarely talking about kind of i need to focus on like i didn't play well i didn't i need yeah. to do this better there's like, not much accountability personal fouls at least not publicly game, right yeah. yeah so maybe that's maybe pri- privately there is and so i don't want right. to you know judge him based off what we just see but that's all we see without open locker room without being able to talk yeah. to players like we once did and you know what and you wonder what that looks like moving forward this is interesting because john smith says take away devin white show horson with white uh, he needs to focus the, the buccaneers gave him his own little show you know the video show where he's on there doing like kind of like did Tommy stop, and Gronk. Did they did stop it exactly. I was yeah. gonna say they did stop it. And kudos to the Buccaneers because he didn't and maybe do that's that. him too. Maybe that's him. Maybe he said I need to yeah. focus too. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm not sure. And I'm I, you know obviously I want players to have interest outside of what they do on the field too. Right. But I think it's it's something that you got to consider if you're Devin White and you're not playing well. Like you're looking at all kind of avenues to to be able to get better. So. Hopefully that happens for him, but I just brought that up because I had the same. I had in my hits and misses, and you talked yeah. about in your misses, and so that was an interesting one. The other one I'll say that was a hit for me was just Gronkowski. I watched him last season, and people were like, you know, it wasn't too bad, but he's slowing down. He's getting near the end, and you know, I was just like, I don't see a player that's getting near the end at all. To me, he looked <laughs> awesome last year. I thought they right. just he and Brady. I, I think I've mentioned it a ton of times in this podcast. Everybody else in the team had their best catch percentage of their career in terms of converting targets into catches last year. And with Gronkowski, it was the worst. You know, he and Brady, yeah. for whatever reason, the system, the timing, they those two were just off most of the year. Um, and even into the playoffs, like they really didn't always get going. And so this year, just totally different story. They've been yeah. absolutely fantastic. Gronk's catch percentage is way back up, and his numbers were unbelievable. 808 yards this year, despite only playing in yeah. 11 games. He was on pace for like almost 1,300-yard season, nine-touchdown season if he played the whole year. I mean, he – those are still like all time good numbers for a tight end. And he's still putting those up in an offense that has a ton of other pieces. And right. it's just, he was remarkable. And he was one guy I watched after last year that I was like, man, people got to watch the tape because mm-hmm. his numbers were fine last year, but the tape showed a dude that could have easily had, he had got a thousand yards last year if Brady hit him on a bunch of throws. Yeah. And, and, and he would have had a thousand yards this year, that. easy without, without oh, yeah. being out those games. Right. I mean, easy right. a thousand yard season. And, yeah. and and that's never been done before by a tight end in Tampa Bay history. And so the fact that he finished with 805 yards 
despite those mm-hmm. games with with the the punctured lung and the, and the and the broken ribs that he missed, that's that's a quite an, an, you know an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, and um, now we get in the same conversation with Gronk in some ways, Scott, that we do with Brady. Although with quarterback, it's obviously a more like Brady's obviously the best quarterback in Bucks history. I think everybody would, would say no that, but. Yeah. But then it comes to, you know, where do you like tenure? You know, would you also say like, I know Jimmy Giles was a really good player for the Bucks, but yeah. Gronk's probably the most t- talented tight end. Oh, there's no Bucks doubt. History. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I there's, there's no doubt. I mean, I, I like Jimmy Giles, but I mean, there's no comparison. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. you've kind of got those two Jimmy guys Giles, still at the height of their powers. Jimmy Giles is in the ring of honor and <laughs> Gronk's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Big That's distinction right, right there. Right. Yeah. And still playing at that level too. It's not yes. like you got near the end. And oh, yeah. No, no yeah. I think that's the important thing for people to, to understand is that and it, and it will create this huge in, interesting conversation this offseason because you've got this wide receiver three hole that's probably going to exist. I, I very much I doubt even if the Bucks want to run and win the Super Bowl. It's and has got an asterisk because Chris Godwin, I think he's going to get resigned and you do too. Right. But right. but he's going to be coming off that ACL injury. And is he going to mm-hmm. be ready for training camp? Is he going to be is he going to be linger into September? Is right. he going to be? Is he going to come back and just be that guy right off the bat, or is it going to take a little bit of getting used to yeah. that? And is the rust going to be there from not being able to go through OTAs and, and training camp? You know, we'll have to see. Right. And they need Gronk more than ever, I think. Yeah, exactly. So I think he's back if he wants to keep playing. Let's just assume for the sake of the conversation, he wants to keep yeah. playing. The Bucks have shown, and this is a credit to Bruce Aarons and Byron Leftwich. This is not an offense that's had a lot of production from a tight end in years at least um, and right. part of that's the guys that they've had but yeah. another part of it last year if you look at how they use Gronk he was a block he pass protected way more reps last year yes. than he has all season this year and he was in line almost all the time last year this year they're flexing him they're putting him in the slot they're putting him out wide they're moving him around more so they found ways to get him more involved in the offense and I think the result has been great for them and I think it has I wonder if going into this offseason Scott they're like we're going to keep using him like this and we're, you know, wide receiver three, we're going to find somebody for sure, but we're going to draft some, but we're not, it's not a huge deal to us. Like we right. don't have to find a game changer like Antonio Brown, as long as we've Godwin back and Evans and him, you know, they want to be deep at wide out. We know that, Yeah. but Gronk's dominance may affect how they look at that third wide receiver spot. compared to what they would have done it's, before. It's him. not just the dominance. It's the rapport with Brady, right? This mm. is not just, you know, some tight end that that Brady inherited, you know, here in Tampa. This is a guy that he recruited and told Jason Light trade for this guy. I got him right. ready to come out of retirement. Just call a Bill Belichick, get this done, get Gronk down here. So it's it's a double whammy. It's 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 a fantastic tight end, as you said, John. And it's also that rapport that he has with Tom Brady dating back to those Patriots days that that make him so unique. Um, for for this offense and and for the production that he has. Yeah. Speaking of production. One of the things I hit on was I actually said that Mike Edwards would lead the team in interceptions this year. Oh, wow. Was That's funny. Yeah. Now, that I did, was, that I couldn't did have say, been a high chance of happening, even as yeah, good as he is at that. I did say I said he would probably get four or five, even as a reserve, and he might steal some reps from Jordan Whitehead, uh, which, which we saw a lot of Edwards this year, yeah. primarily due to injury, not necessarily taking away reps from Antoine Winfield or – or from uh, Jordan Whitehead because both those guys missed some time due to injury. But it maybe if Edwards didn't get suspended those three games, he might have had four or five. But he had three to lead the Buccaneers. The Bucs had several players: Pierre Desaire, um, Sean Murphy Bunting. I think mm-hmm. had or no Jordan Whitehead and and Winfield each had two. So they they had a couple players with two. Edwards actually had three, including those 
whose pick six is against the just Falcons. being healthy most of the season helped him with everybody else being out. yeah yeah exactly it's kind of natural elevation he didn't do anything except just be healthy mm-hmm. and, and and made the place so i was right about edwards leading the bucks in interceptions what i was wrong about going back to my season predictions was i thought sean murphy bunting would be the most improved defensive player instead it's mm-hmm. really been anthony nelson and I, I thought sean murphy bunting was ready after that postseason he had to become that guy rather than the guy we saw in the regular season that was hurt, that got beat, that kind of saw some doubt mm-hmm. creep in. And uh, it we have not seen that Sean Murphy bunting that we saw in the postseason. Just like Devin White, those two guys, I don't know if that was a mirage or, or maybe right. it's a sign of things to come. They're just not ready for that on a regular basis yet. But, but uh, you know, I got fooled. In, in the postseason by what Sean Murphy Bunting was able to do. We just haven't seen that quality of coverage on a consistent basis like we did. I mean, he made some some absolute hero plays. That interception inside the Saints' red zone, stepping in front of Michael Thomas. Uh, there was a, a huge play in Washington, his first interception of three in, in, the, in the, the postseason. And then that was a clutch interception right in front of Alan Lazard at Green Bay that helped set up that Bucks touchdown by Scotty Miller before the half. So... I mean, we just haven't seen that yet. And and again, it's part of that has been Sean Murphy Bunting missed half the season with that in that elbow mm-hmm. injury. He didn't look good before that in week one against the Cowboys. Who knows what would have happened had that injury right. not taken place? But Anthony Nelson, I didn't see that coming either. So that's that's a kudos to five sack yeah. Anthony Nelson, three sacks. We didn't even row. miss on him. We just didn't even acknowledge him at yeah. all. So yeah. <laughs> right. we didn't, we weren't eight and we just didn't even register with us yeah. uh, that he could yeah he's played very well the last couple of weeks carter says john what's up with them's clearly limiting scotty miller's opportunities and we've got a bunch of questions even in this show yeah. about this uh scotty miller's thing is situation is really clear in my opinion at this point what the coaching staff thinks of him at least they don't think he can get off press coverage they don't think he's an inside slot guy because he can't block like that and so they value the bigger bodies yeah. blockers on the inside and then yeah, they don't think that he can get off press coverage as well as some of the other guys that they have to be able to put outside. So right. that limits his usage and that limits his role to like certain packages and certain route combinations and things like that in their mind. So he's just a little bit too predictable to have out there maybe all the time unless you have to in their mind. I think he can still yeah. create a splash play or two to change the game. You talked about it in two-point conversion. He only had 80 yards last year in the playoffs, but yeah, the 29-yarder against the Saints set up the, the game – clinching i guess field goal yeah at the end of the game sliding between two defenders was a great mm-hmm. concentration catch and then obviously one of the plays of the playoffs was that halftime touchdown right. or the touchdown before the half against green bay so you know and nobody even remembers the sliding grab he had against washington for 15 yards that you pointed right. out that was um, that was right before the ab touchdown in that yep. game that was a terrific catch and one of brady's best throws that probably gets forgotten about too yeah. so but he but you know definitely what? makes plays when he's given opportunities he so. does it, it's it's it draws pis too Yes, it's a matter of impact rather than opportunities, right? Just yeah. like we talked about, you know, KJ Britt only played seven plays. He made three tackles. You know, was he in the right place, right time? Was is there luck involved? Yeah, probably, but he did his part. And and w- sometimes the the postseason can trick us, right? Because again, we've talked about Devin White, we've talked about Scotty or about Sean Murphy Bunting, Scotty Miller too. It's like people think he just dominated and took over in the postseason. No, I mean he only was targeted I think five times. Yeah, had four catches for eighty yards. Yeah. And then he had two end arounds that, you know, one was for eight yards at Washington. I mean, he didn't even get targeted in the Super Bowl. He had one end around that, yeah, for, three yard, for right. a three-yard loss. The most opportunities he's ever had was at the beginning of last season, and that was also the most productive he's ever been. Even on right. a – like, he was still incredibly productive. And it's just funny he just hasn't 
you know, the, that opportunity he delivered at that point in time. And since then, he's not really gotten opportunity. And so we don't, right. you know, there's this idea that because he's had one or two bad plays and the little opportunity he's had that, yeah. you know, he wouldn't be able to deliver again on a larger scale. And I, I, I don't know. I, yeah. when you have speed like that yeah. and he has good hands, those two things are usually a good, really good combination, especially when the competition is what it is right now in the Bucks depth chart. There's just not a lot of ballers left. <laughs> Let's put it that I way. Know. William Butler, $5 super chat. This is a good point, William. Uh, if Josh Allen had the numbers Brady has this season, he would be the unquestioned MVP. It's a shame that Rodgers is going to win this award. This is so true to me. Like, I think if a younger quarterback had his numbers, they would just win it automatically. And it's just yeah. because Brady's won so much in his career. I think people just feel like, you know, this should, you know, we, we shouldn't give this to him again. That's how I yeah. feel anyway. I think it's just, it's funny to, to think about yeah. the context of the age and everything. I agree. All right. So, so John, you're going to give us uh, some of your takes now. And when you do, right, we've got about 400 or so people here in the chat. So now we're going to do roll call, which is where you tell us real quick, you, you enter a comment, tell us where you're, where you're listening, where you're watching from. Okay. Yeah. So John's going to talk and educate us all and entertain us all For the next couple of minutes. I'm going to be clicking all of these locations and see where in Florida, where in America, and where around the world you guys are watching the Pew Report podcast from here on another Victory Monday. Go. Yeah, I think that one of my biggest misses of the season was Leonard Fournette. I just did not in any way. I mean, as a rusher, he's been kind of exactly what I thought he was. But as a receiver and as a pass protector, I am stunned by the growth. Like, I'm stunned and blown away by the growth this far into his career. And he said it, and I just think it's true. It's a testament to playing with Brady and how much better he makes people around him, I think, and, and how much he's just communication, encouragement. I think all those things have meant a lot to Leonard Fournette. And so that's been really cool to see uh, his growth. And just as a person, I like the way how open he is about himself. And but in the same breath, I just I think the whole thing with the Bucks backfield, like I really honestly thought Scott that Giovanni Bernard was going to be a huge contributor yeah. this season. I yeah. thought he was going to have Fournette's receiving numbers and actually get a chance to rush. I'm not sure if this one's on me or if this one's on the Bucks. Like they, I really <laughs> do think Giovanni Bernard could be more productive than Fournette if you gave him all the same touches as a receiver. Um, not to knock Fournette, I just think Giovanni Bernard is, is good and probably a little bit more elusive in space and definitely has better acceleration. And I think those traits are really valuable as a receiver. Um, so I don't necessarily think less of Bernard. I just thought that the production would be greater. Yeah. And the Bucks coaching staff has just said, you know what? We like Leonard's growth is standing out to us and we trust him and we just rather not have this rotation guys coming on and off the field. And yeah. so Leonard, you're just going to be our guy. And, you know, he's stepping back in this week, I'm sure. And so I think he's going to go back to being the guy, to be honest, to play a lot That's of snaps. Right. And Giovanni Bernard, he might play this week, too. He might get activated this week. He probably will, actually. And so it to be good to have him available, especially with the injuries that they have. And I wonder, if, do we see some two back? You know, do we see some? Two sure. running backs out there. Barrians almost never uses any formation with two running backs at the same time. But, you know, they've cooked up some different things for the playoffs last year, especially as the playoffs went on. And so I wonder if we see something like that again. But no no question, he's. I think he should be involved in the playoffs. But I honestly thought, Scott, that we'd see way more from Giovanni Bernard than, than we have. We just have not I seen that too. much from this season. And you know what, John? I, I think, too – and thank you guys very much for that roll call. That was fun. A lot, a lot of you guys from Canada, a lot of you guys from around the world, certainly a lot here in Florida and across the country too. Awesome. Thank you for joining us here on the People Report podcast. I'm with you, John. And I think that when Jason Light signed Giovanni Bernard in the offseason, that that was the plan, that he would be the third down back. I don't think they were selling this guy a bill of goods. I think that was the plan. 
and it just kind of developed to where Leonard Fournette in training camp just mm-hmm. kind of stepped up and, and was that guy. And really from week one on, I, I think yeah. just kind of took over that that role and it was a little unexpected. And, you know, and the, the other thing too is where we saw Giovanni Bernard really step up as that receiver was when he caught what nine passes in week three out there in LA, scored the touchdown, but then hurt his knee. So it just kind of derailed just when he was getting a little bit of momentum, derailed his progress. Yep. And then it and then that opportunity right opened up and just what two weeks later against the Eagles, or I guess three weeks later against the Eagles, Fournette has this monster game, you know, rushing, mm-hmm. receiving, and it That's just right. kind of took off from there. Yep. Yeah, that's been a, that's a big part of it too. Fournette or Bernard just being knocked out twice in games this season has kind of slowed things for him as well. He he hasn't looked bad when he's played, to be honest. Right. Like he he's actually he's quick route runner, and he honestly he only got a couple carries, but he had some of their better runs of the year. Right. I just I again I still think he could be used more. I just yeah. thought that would be more obvious to the coaches, and it hasn't been. So that gives me a little bit of pause, okay. and we'll see what them will be coming free agents. All right. So let me ask you this, John. So with regards to if Leonard Fournette's healthy, like we think he's going to be, appreciate that super chat, Jason. Yeah, and if, if Giovanni Bernard is healthy, do you dress four running backs, including Keyshawn Vaughn, who at the very least as your number three running back could be a gunner on special teams? Do you dress Le'Veon Bell, who's been very good in pass protection, caught a touchdown pass in in last week's or in yesterday's it, game against is the this Panthers. if ronald jones plays this week because i don't think he's gonna play i don't think he's going to either so that's yeah. what i'm saying those are the four running backs do you dress three or do you dress four? i dress i dress three i think i mean there's no reason to mess with the gunner situation you're gonna have a lot of dbs up probably yeah. in my opinion i mean for a lot of reasons but you know you if especially if levante doesn't play like you gotta have a B, plan b for kevin minter <laughs> you gotta yeah, have true. all your dbs up yeah. and just be ready to I, try I a almost, bunch of different stuff I almost think with two guys with their first action back, right, with a hip injury mm-hmm. and a hamstring injury, that you almost have to dress four for this game, just in case mm. Leonard tweaks something right early and he's gone, because mm. then you're left with two running backs. I guess if you game. think his health could be a question, maybe. Yeah. But I would I, honestly I think probably that's the only best why. dress Bell as the third back. Yeah, me too. You know, and and if you're dr- and if, if you're dressing inactive. Geo. And I would make Keyshawn inactive unless you need him as a gunner for whatever reason the rest of the roster shakes out. Then I'm yeah. I'm fine with playing him. But but yeah, I think Bell's just you know Vaughn's played fine uh, as a pass protector. You know he Bell is just very shorthanded, and I know that. And he's so yeah big as a pass protector. There's a couple times <laughs> in game tape he takes a fake hand up, Brady turns around, there's a blitzer, and Bell just like runs into the guy, and there's like mm-hmm. that's it. Like the, he's just so big, you hit him. Yeah. Um, and it just makes a big difference. So uh, Le- Shaggy with the $5 super chat. We appreciate that. Lenny has been a different player since BA told him to buy in or get out. He's definitely bought in and it shows. Yeah. I mean, he's talked about how much the culture and the environment in Tampa Bay has meant to him, uh, which has definitely been one of the cool things. So, yeah. and you know what, to, to that point, let's not forget that Ronald Jones was named on the training camp depth chart, the starting running back. And mm-hmm. I think that might've been a little bit of a reminder from Bruce Arians, a little bit of fire to keep Lenny burning a little bit, right? Yeah. You know, just, just, as, well, hold on. You're not playoff right. Lenny quite yet. Or actually, maybe yeah. you were, but that was last you year. You were, but that, right. This is 2021 New year. Lenny, right? Yeah. Who do you yeah. think about that, John? I think that that could have been the case. You know, everybody's motivated in different ways. Like some people need those kind of things. They need to be in the right environment around certain yeah. people. 
who push their buttons in certain ways. Some people like Brady probably are like intrinsically motivated. They just, it doesn't matter what environment you put them in. They're going to, you're going to get the same output in terms of who they are and what they produce and all that kind of right. stuff. So, you know, finding what the buttons to push with Leonard has been obviously a big part of this. And we see this is why so many players leave in free agency after career year and they go somewhere else and they don't do anything. It's because that environment, usually right. if they're hitting the market, it's because there <laughs> yeah. are a lot of other factors that contributed to their success. So exactly. Here's the biggest surprise to me of the season, Scott. Okay. This isn't really something I missed on. I just, I'm stunned by this. And it's the fact that the Bucks have benefited from less penalty calls than any other team in the NFL. And it yeah. isn't even really close. They are five penalties compared to the Jets. The Jets have benefited from 84. The Bucks just 79 penalties this year. And as you go down the list, I mean, even like, Fifth, sixth, seventh place is double-digit penalties ahead of the Bucks, and the Bucks have just straight up all season not got called. Now their own penalties have regressed; they haven't had as many as the beginning of the year, and I, I predicted that that right. would regress. I also thought we'd see them just because of their talent level and the fact that they clearly get held a ton on tape to like just to be able to overcome them. Like you right. told Mike Evans all the time, you, it's hard to beat him. Otherwise, like it happens with AB. All you know, these guys. Yeah. Gronk, I mean, how many times have we seen with Gronk in recent weeks? Like it's, you know, it's so many times and yet they're not getting those calls. And so I just right. don't know how that's going to play out in the playoffs. I know the, re the, the rumor is Brady always gets the calls, by the way, if any Bucks fan ever wants to just go to nflpenalties.com yeah. and look at like all Brady's years in New England, you can just clearly see that just never was the case. They're like right. usually near the bottom actually in penalty calls. Yeah. Sometimes they'd be in the middle, but they're hardly ever at the very top. And so right. that's just a complete myth, but yeah, I think that's the big thing. And then in the playoffs, all it needs to do is happen once in the playoffs for everybody to go off and say that again. I don't even care about that. I just want like it to be you know, a level playing field with whoever the other opponent is. Lately, it's been more of a level playing field, you know, lower level playing field. But I do think that that's part of this season that's been shocking to me is just, you know, Super Bowl champs. I did in my back of my head, I think, think there's a little bit of a stigma, like a respect thing, not with Brady, but just like, you have the top players in, in the world right. in a lot of ways on the Bucks team at a lot of different positions, to be honest. You have to kind of commit penalties to hold the guys like that in check, I thought. Yeah. And it just has not been the case, Scott. They have just hardly – there's hardly been a game where you felt like, wow, the Bucks like really like got some help here that they need. They, they, yeah. Even if it was deserved, you just have hardly felt like that at all this season. There's just been hardly any calls that have gone their way. I agree. And speaking of needing help, I think the Steelers are going to need some help against Kansas City. Carmen – uh, says, I'm happy for John that the yeah. Steelers made the playoffs, but sad for all of us who have to now watch that Steelers offense in a playoff. I mean, sad for me, to be honest. I, I, I hate everything about their offense. I hate watching. I honestly hate yeah. watching their team. I, I love watching their defense, <laughs> but I hate – I mean, they're they're pitiful football. Yeah. The fact they're in the playoffs is honestly one of the most unlikely things I've ever seen. People who watch the yeah. show know me. Despite fandom, oh gosh, yeah. I keep it 100 yeah. all the time. No, it's one of you the do. worst offenses I have yeah. ever seen in the playoffs in my life. Actually, period. Right. <laughs> just kidding. So it is bad. But, Scott, can we just talk for a second about that game last night? That yes, was one I, of the most – I would love I mean, to. Yes. Was that not one of the most unbelievable football games you've ever seen in your life? I mean, they converted the Chargers talking the about Sunday like, night game. Yes, yes, it, it was it was crazy. The, the and only, six, four to twenty one, three, four to tens. Crazier game I've seen this year was actually the Raiders overtime win against the Baltimore Ravens in Week One. Where that where was they, a crazy they, game, but this was like the most unlikely game yeah. of all time. I mean, they converted six. Fourth downs. Yes. Four, five yeah. of them were nine yards or longer. Yes. And I was going to say that those were not like fourth and ones either. Those were some yeah. serious. That was a crazy uh, game. Yeah. It was. That but was I'm just a crazy saying, game. 
yeah, and I uh, listen. I've, I've got some some relationships with with the Raiders coaching staff, right? Because yeah, obviously John Gruden brought brought a Bisaccia, lot of those guys yeah. there. I mean, from from um, Rich Basaccia, who was the special teams coordinator in Tampa under the Gruden years, Gus Bradley, who was a linebackers coach here, as the defensive yeah. coordinator, Greg Olson, who served as offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach for, for the Bucks when they were with Raheem Morris, and also the quarterbacks coach under John Gruden. So he's had like two stints in Tampa. Uh, it was, it was wild. I mean, Tim Burbanek, Byron Store, the assistant special teams coach, Mark Ortega, who is is Rich Basacci, is a kind of a right hand man. He was Gruden's right hand man here. A lot of Raiders people on that staff. I'm really happy for. And I was texting some of them last night and t- and tonight. Congratulations. I don't think they're going to beat the Bengals because the Bengals kind of waxed him earlier in Las Vegas this mm. year, 32 to 13. The Bengals just seem pretty hot right now. Neither of those teams. franchises have won a playoff game in forever. I think Raiders That's 2003 true. maybe and yeah. Bengals 1992. Yeah. And it's and crazy. this one is this one is here in or I shouldn't say here but it's it's in Cincinnati. So it's going to be right. a, a tough game for for the Raiders. Mm-hmm. But yes, John, that was an absolutely wild game where whereas if it's a tie, the Steelers yeah. go home, right? That's that's the crazy element of this. And the timeout was called and the Raiders said screw, it, we're going to go for the kick. Yeah. Just a classic special teams call by a special teams coach, and Rich Passaccia says, "Right, screw it, we're not going to go for the tie. We're going to have a kicker win the game." And they did. I tell you what, I could fight all these people on Twitter. Just let it be. Let it be a tie. Just kneel it out. Let it be a tie, and both you go to the playoffs. Why would you want this amazing game end with a winner? I know. Sick man. What are you talking about? Ties are the worst. You play to win the game. That's that's another former (laughs) Buccaneer assistant coach, Herm Edwards. That's right. I mean, that's yeah. I was egregious to me, but I'm glad they're in. In some ways, the only reason I actually cared, to be honest, Scott, because I know they're going to get waxed in the playoffs and they don't deserve to be there. But I, I actually, only reason I cared was just I can imagine being Ben Roethlisberger, and you're like, yeah, we're going to the playoffs after you win, and then you literally watch a tie happen intentionally in overtime right. and that's how your career ends. That's just a rough way to yeah. go. I mean, probably losing to the chiefs will be rougher, but yeah. Oh well, oh well, yeah. it was a fun game. Crazy game though. One of the yeah, craziest no, I, nights of football in my life watching. That so, game. so listen, I, I promised I would do, since we're talking about the Steelers and former mm-hmm. bucks coaches, I promised I would do my Mike Tomlin impersonation today, which I'll do. So John, I need you to play the role of intrepid pewter report reporter, John Lydiard. Asking me, Mike Tomlin, when I was the Buccaneers defensive backs coach, ask me about Rondé Barber. You were doing a story on Rondé Barber, Rondé Barber alone, specifically Rondé Barber. What Rondé Barber brings to the secondary, what makes Rondé Barber a special player? Okay. All right. Mike, uh, just uh, watching Rondé Barber this week and watching the way that he dominates the slot position. And I know the Hall of Fame fantasies might be something that's in his future. And just wondering what you think of his and his game and what it's meant to your defense. Well, you know, Rondé means a lot to to our defense, just like John Lynch and Dexter Jackson and and Brian Kelly and all of our guys really are, uh, are you know, trained to be professionals and to go out there and, and do their job. Obviously. Ask Obviously. a follow-up question about Rondé. <laughs> okay, uh, Rondé, uh, he's the guy. He plays a, kind of a unique role in your defense. Obviously, he's as good a run defender and blitzer as he is in coverage a lot of the time. Just w- what makes him so unique to be able to play that position? We have a lot of unique guys. Uh, John Lynch is unique. Brian Kelly's unique. Corey Ivey's unique. Dexter Jackson's unique. Corey Barber's unique. All of our guys are unique. 
follow-up, John. That's Ask me another question. <laughs> I don't have any more questions. I mean, you the, didn't draw it up, obviously, yeah. though. That's what you need. He yeah, that's true. Obviously, that's true. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yes. But you know what I'm saying? It's like oh, yeah. you, you want something specific, and he just no, no. doesn't give it to you, right? Yeah. It's like he oh, just he's talks a, about yeah. all of his other guys. Byron Leftwich learned a couple things when he was in Pittsburgh. He did. He did. <laughs> it wasn't There's much no about quarterback about play, but right. he learned about how to answer questions to the media, yeah. I think, for sure. So. Yep. It couldn't be more different from Bruce Arians, though. We were talking about that today. It's oh, funny. yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, he, let's let's transition now as we come out of this kind of reflecting about the regular season a little yeah. bit and look ahead. Hold on. To I got one more for you. I got one more. Oh, okay. If, if Another I can. Okay. impersonation? So, well, no, not impersonation. My okay. Impersonations are done. Uh, I might get to the Chuck Berry story if we have time, but I, <laughs> it's getting a little late in there. I might have to be on All Wednesday. Right, we'll see. Some people do we'll the Chuck Berry story it. Wednesday. But uh, what, we're, what I, I said – would happen was that Shaq Barrett would lead the team in sacks this year. And he did. I said, I thought he'd have 13. He ended up with 10. And yeah, I think no, he missed a couple games. Though. He missed a couple games. I think he, he probably could have got there for sure. But yeah, uh, the Panthers, but I, yeah. yeah I, I did not believe JPP would lead the team in sacks like he did last year with nine and a half. Um, where I missed was I said, the Bucks would have seven pro bowlers. They actually had five. I mean, it's comical. They only had one Pro Bowler, which was JPP, and during the Super Bowl year. But that's mm-hmm. just the way it was. I said they'd have seven. I got four of them right. They ended up with five. Brady, Wirfs, Marpet, and Barrett. Those were the the four guys that I predicted would get in, and they did. The guys that I predicted also would get in was Godwin, Vita Vea, and Devin White. Those guys didn't. Although Devin's close, right? He's, he's First team alternate. Godwin could have if it wasn't Godwin for could have. four guys going absolutely crazy all yeah. season with statistically what Jamar yeah. Chase, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, and Debo Samuel did this year it was unbelievable yeah. to watch those four guys. Otherwise, Godwin's probably in the conversation if he stays healthy. Oh, yeah, you're exactly right. Matter of fact, John, Chris Godwin missed the last three games, actually four if you really want to count the fact he was out in the first quarter of that Saints game. He still right. led the Bucks in receptions. 90, 98 catches. 98 catches. Mike Evans is second with 74. That's 24 more catches than, yeah. than Mike uh, Evans. And he still beat him in yards, 1,103 to 1,035. Now, of course, Evans is the touchdown guy, 14 touchdowns. Godwin had five touchdown catches, one touchdown rushing against the Rams. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, his lack of touchdowns might have hurt him a little bit, but you never know. He could score a couple touchdowns and maybe wind up with with eight or nine had he stayed healthy. And then, of course, the guy that I, I didn't say would get in that, that did was Ryan Jensen. And Ryan Jensen had a, had a great year mm-hmm. for the Buccaneers this year. He's been playing at a really high level the last two years especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know what's funny? It, which I don't funny. It's actually it kind of sucks to be honest because this season obviously is great. It's regular season, no question about it. But I really think you know if they're looking at the numbers and seeing Gronk five, 808 and maybe 500 and in just six and a half games, and I really think they might have been the first. I think the first team would have been the yeah. first team to had four 1,000 yard receivers in a single season like that was right there, man. Like if you look yeah. at the numbers, even like it was in the cards for them to have that because those guys played so many snaps when they were all together or when any of the three were out there and, you know, obviously they couldn't stay healthy enough to get that mark. They still almost yeah. got drunk there and AB's production per game was greater than anybody else's right out of the whole group as great as seasons they all had. So it, it could have been something unreal. I mean, still could have been if AB hadn't gotten suspended and then, and then 
you know, booted, but um, you know, it was, yeah, would have been unbelievable to watch, you know, Brady with those kind of weapons at his disposal for a full 16, 17 game season, everybody healthy would have been, would have broken every record out there. I really believe that. So one thing you read about the season, basically, if you look back, but looking forward, Scott, the bucks play the Eagles at 1 PM on Sunday, First, what do you think of this time slot going into the NFC wildcard? Do you like the time slot? And if you could pick any of the NFC teams to match up against in the first round, how do you feel about the Eagles? Well, I, I think it's I think it's the Eagles if I had to pick a team uh, because of two reasons. Doesn't one, mean they're easy, though. Yeah, you beat them before, right? So I, I think there's, there's that component to it. They're not a foreign enemy. You've kind of played them before, so you have a feel for what they're doing. Now, the Eagles... I believe won six of their last eight games, so they've they've kind of been on a tear, and they've been averaging twenty seven points per game over those last eight weeks of the season. So the scoring is something that kind of catches my eye. Now, when it comes to scoring, what I do like about this game, especially for Tampa Bay, is it's at home. The Buccaneers' yep. margin of victory, in other words, what they've averaged is twenty seven points per game on the road. They've allowed 24 points per game. So that margin of victory is only three points on the road in those, those games that they played. And you add them all up and you do the averages. At home, a completely different story. The Buccaneers were averaging 33 points at home. That's six more points per game. But the defense has really come to play. They're averaging a full touchdown less, so they're giving up 17 points. So that 33 to 17 differential is huge at home. And that's kind of what we saw yesterday, right? 41 to 17 for the Buccaneers could have been three more points if Ryan Suckup kept his footing on that field goal attempt. It's just a it's a far cry from the 27-24, which again, John, if you look at at the score from that Philadelphia game in Philly on Thursday night was 28 to 22. It's right in that realm. So that kind of plays to, to what this this Buccaneer team was on the road and is at home. So I like the fact that it's there. But as I mentioned in my two-point conversion count, this team needs Shaquille Barrett back big time as an edge run defender just as much as a pass rusher. He's got the speed if his knee is healthy to chase Jalen Hurts because the Eagles have the number one rushing attack coming into this game. The Buccaneers have got the number three Pass, or I should say run defense, but really over the last half of the season, it's been around 15. So right. Tampa Bay's run defense has got to get a lot better. And having Levante David, who I think is going to be a game-time decision probably, yeah, uh, and Shaq Barrett, who is supposed to play along with Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, I think those guys plus Anthony Nelson uh, give the Buccaneers probably better run defense. I, I, I like Joe Trinshwink. I'm not putting this all on him. But we even saw the last couple of weeks where he's he's got some issues setting the edge. He gets a little too wide. He can get pushed out on his off tackle plays. The Bucks are being attacked on the edge, and I think that they're they're kind of targeting him. And I think that Joe Tryon showing him moving around so much from left end to right end to playing inside on nickel rushes. It's just it's it's got him a little out of sorts. I think the experience can be a double edged sword. It can help him mm-hmm. in the long run because of the the variety of positions yeah. he's played but I don't I don't think he's mastered one position yet and I think that's where it's hurting the bucks is in run defense with JTS out there. I think Anthony Nelson has got a better understanding of setting the edge, plays the run better on his side of the ball whether it's left or right wherever he plays. I think having Shaq and JPP might help although I don't I don't think JPP mm-hmm. had a great game at Philly especially in run defense I think he Thoughts lost is, yeah. 
He hasn't really played well since the beginning of the year, but maybe, you know, he's better coming off the injury. Obviously, you know, that's the thing about APP we called for him to be benched for a while there, but it was just because he wasn't playing. We weren't doing that before the season started it was after he got right. hurt and he was clearly wasn't even anywhere close to himself. Yeah. Does he come back stronger after three weeks off? Uh, maybe almost a month off really since his last game. Maybe he does. I have no clue, but the guy we last saw on the field, you know, shouldn't be out there in my opinion. Right. So maybe he's better and he comes back stronger. That could yeah. be like kind of a, a hidden asset for the Bucs, yeah. honestly, moving into the playoffs. The craziest thing about the Eagles, Scott, is they didn't have Lane Johnson the last time and they didn't have Dallas Goddard the last time these two teams played. Right. And I'll get to who was out for the Bucs too. But, you know, Goddard, good tight end. Obviously, he'd change some things for them, no question about it. Lane Johnson changes things a lot too, does, though, because yeah. now you're talking about, I mean, Tristan Wirfs and Donovan Smith and Jordan Maialata and Lane Johnson, you're talking about probably the two of the best, maybe the two best other than the Saints who are obviously in the playoffs. Definitely right. the two best tackle tandems in, that are in the NFC, that are in the playoffs for any mm-hmm. team um, with, with the Saints not in the field. You know, that's how good those guys are. So and it's going to be tough. To your, point, to your point, over the last three weeks, right? I mean, Carolina – has not had good offensive line play in either of these two games. Yeah. And they did the car. The Panthers just ran for 110 yards on the Buccaneers, 79 yards in the first half of right. yesterday's game. And then of course the, the jets, their offensive line has been in disarray. They don't have Makai Becton. They're the number one pick from, you know, from a year ago. And they've had a lot of injuries there and they, they ran rough shot over the Buccaneers, 150 yards rushing. So yeah, having a, a better, healthier, Eagles offensive line that does not really inspire a lot of confidence with this Bucks run defense, which which has been run on. Right. Absolutely. And it's a good point here by Marcus, who says we had Antonio Brown and Godwin last time. We don't now. Absolutely. But they didn't have Gronk last time for what it's worth. And, and they'll have him this time around. But you're 100 yeah. percent right. The biggest struggle and why, you know, when we get to the offseason, I'll talk about this with whoever the Bucks target. Number The big struggle right now for this team is guys who can run after the catch. Who can do that against teams that play? Soft coverage like the Eagles, who can make plays with the ball in their hands? Well, the two best guys in your team that did that were Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown, and now neither right. are playing. So is Mike Evans going to be that guy? Is Gronk going to be that guy? Tyler Johnson, I really thought that that was the one thing he could do, and now he can't even he do can't. that so far. Yeah. So Perryman had a nice play after the catch, but they're going to have to manufacture that. I mean, Fournette's going to be a big part of it. It's one of the reasons why I like you know, I would like to have Giovanni Bernard out there. But what guys can do after the catch against the Eagles is critical because they're weak underneath. But down the right. field, they're they're good. Like they don't give up a lot of big plays. And so last time it was a really patient game plan. And when you, as long as you stayed ahead of the sticks, you were pretty good. Could you run That's the right. ball times? They're going to give you a lot of light boxes, the Eagles. So you have to be able to run the football against them. Um, the Bucks haven't run the football well recently. So I think it's going to present challenges for the Bucks offense. But the other side of things, I mean, Bucks played them last time, Scott. No Carlton Davis, no Sean Murphy Bunting. I don't know if that good or bad but no right. Antoine Winfield well, no, 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 no Richard Sherman he was out for the first player yeah, or two. the beginning of the game yeah so yeah. they are literally I mean bottom of the barrel at corner and the only reason I mean they were 114 yards passing the Eagles the only reason that yeah. it was even a game at all was because of a 50 yard pass interference and a 45 yard pass interference both of those right. gave the Eagles a first and goals it was a very fluky final score the yeah. Bucks slept walked through the game and barely won it by the scoreboard but if you remember, they knelt down at like the five yard line at the end of the game. Yeah, they could have just been a touchdown there. It, which, the, which yes, the, I, I remember vividly because I had I had the, had the point spread with the Bucks and that right. stupid two point conversion that they did, which was meaningless at the end of the game. 
Uh, if you go off the first game and you watch it again, you're like, wow, this should have been a big win for the Bucs. And, you know, they didn't have a bunch of people. And now you're feeling like right. you know, maybe better. But, but I think the Eagles are playing better. Here's the one thing to think about. Are the Eagles playing that much better or the opponents they're playing just much weaker? Right. Here's them at the beginning of the year, Scott. Lost to the 49ers, lost to the Cowboys, lost to the Chiefs, lost to the Bucks, lost to the Raiders, lost to the Chargers. All those are playoff teams except the Chargers who, you know, right. probably better than some of the teams in the playoffs. And that's that was the beginning half of the season. They lost to all those teams. The teams that they beat this season, I think somebody already mentioned it, they're 0-6 against playoff teams. The only team they beat with the Saints and, you know, they're right. a quarterback. Um, it's... Uh, they have not really proven themselves against anybody quality this season. And so just winning games will give you more confidence and will change some things as a team. Yeah. And will give you more belief in yourself, even if it's against worse opponents. Nobody thought the Eagles were going to be in the playoffs this year. Nobody thought the Eagles were going to have a winning record this year. So just being able to go out there and, and compete in some of these games, you know, I think, I think they have a good system. I think I'm encouraged by their coaching. If I'm an Eagles fan, I'm pretty encouraged. Um, you know, they don't, shouldn't have the talent to beat the bucks. There's no question about that, right. but the bucks have, screwed around a little bit they screwed around the first play of the uh, game of the playoffs last year and lately the defense just looks very very beatable and if the defense is very very beatable in this game try concerns because yeah the eagles defense isn't amazing but they're good enough where like you're not going to probably blow out that unit they're competent enough and they prevent enough plays where that's unlikely to happen with the personnel the bucks have this feels to me like a 30 to 24 type game it just it, it's going to be mm. close. I think the Eagles are better now than they were when the Bucks played them. And if the Buccaneers lose this game or the next game, or if they lose it all in the postseason, it will be because of the defensive side of the ball, right? And the thing yeah, that scares me to death is if this Bucks defense, and this has been proven at home, it's been proven on the road. If this Bucks defense does not get takeaways and does not get sacks. The Buccaneers struggle Trash. and they lose. Yeah. They lost at home to the Saints in that in that fashion. They lost on the road to Washington. They lost on the road to the Rams in that fashion. If this team does not create takeaways on the defensive side and effectively pressure the quarterback and and sacks pressures are great. I'm all for pressures, but sacks, especially on third down, lead to punts and that that leads to change of possession. So the Buccaneers yeah. need to do that. They're facing a very elusive quarterback who can beat them on scrambles. Right who can beat them in the red zone. He had two rushing touchdowns, John, uh, mm-hmm. 10 carries, 44 yards. That's where Jalen Hurts concerns me the most is in the red zone. I didn't think the Bucks matched up very well and had very good defensive schemes. And, right. Um, and down there. Devin White was a big problem last time in the red zone. And so he was. that's going to need to be fixed. He's got to be a lot better. And, th- and linebacker play in general has been a big problem in coverage near the red zone. Backs getting out of the backfield, quarterbacks uh, being able to escape spies, things like that. Right. He's going to be a huge player in this game. Devin White's got to play a lot better. There's no doubt about that. We'll get into this game in depth on Wednesday. That's that's what we really appreciate. You're right. Devin White needs to have a big game, and I'm concerned because you've heard Bruce Arians say he's maybe trying to do too much right now, and he's missing some tackles, and maybe he's thinking too much rather than playing. I'm also a little concerned. With Levante David possibly coming back, Shaq Barrett coming back, Jason Pierre coming back, these players are veteran players. They know what's happening. They know that that their presence is missed out there. And if these players come out and try to do too much to make up for lost time, it could be messy for the Buccaneers. These guys just have to let the play come to them, do their job, and trust the guy next to them. I know that sounds like coach speak, but it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But sometimes when you're a playmaker and you're making 
the kinds of money and you've got the reputation and all those types of things. You want to make up for, for lost time. You want to come back and have that instant impact. And sometimes that happens and everybody's great and you get all the, the praise and the press. But sometimes it can backfire on you. And if you have a mm-hmm. couple of guys doing that, like a Devin White or a Levante David or a Shaq Barrett or a JPP, you know, you could be in for trouble. So I, yeah. I hope that this team comes back together and plays as a team, not a bunch of individuals trying to go out there and make make a play. Right. That's what's got to happen. There's no question about it, Scott. And the last thing I'll say here, oh, I'll answer Robert's question here. Why do we have such a problem with the methodical short pass game? Honestly, I don't think they they do, Robert, to be honest. The Bucks have done well yeah. in this area through most of the season when teams adjusted and, and, and tried to play more deep coverage against them after the first few weeks of the season. You know, they did a lot of this. They went underneath a lot and, and Brady's a dot went much lower than what it is now, but they were still remained a pretty productive offense, you know? So I think they do need another guy who can make plays with the ball in his hands this off season. That that's a key, whether it's a back or a receiver or both um, you can find guys like that, you know, role player like that in the backfield for sure. But I think that that's, that's, it should be a priority for them in the draft right. as they're looking at that spot. But yeah, I think generally they're, they're okay in that way. You just, you got to make catches. You got to run crisp routes. You got to know where spaces are in zones. Eagles yep. have been a heavy zone defense. You know, Brady, that should be good news for him. And so we'll see how they treat it, obviously. Last thing I'll say is that I, there was a graphic. I retweeted it, too. I wish I could show it on the on the show. But there was a graphic that went up today that just showed, like, this strength of schedule for every team, every team in the league, but especially every team that was left in the playoffs or all the teams that made the playoffs. And the Bucks' offense faced the hardest defensive schedule of any – and this should factor in the MVP yeah. conversation, too. They yeah, faced the hardest defensive schedule of any team in the league this season – and on the other side, oh, except for the Jets, I think the Jets faced were the only ones a little bit harder by right. the Jets. But then defensively, they faced by far the easiest slate of opposing offenses yeah. in the NFL this season. Like they were br- quite a good distance between them and the next closest team in that regard. Yeah. So the offense you know, goes out and top in the league. Now the defense is ranked pretty decently in most categories. Not great, but decently. My My problem is this. I wonder what's going to happen when you face better units. Maybe the Eagles are that unit. I think we yeah. just have yet to see them really be tested. So maybe yep. they are that unit. And maybe it doesn't, they don't even need to be a great unit to beat the Bucks defense the way they're playing right now. What happens when you get to those tough units in the playoffs? Because you have not really been tested that much as a defense. Right. Bill's game was a tale of two different halves completely. Yep. So I don't know what to expect there either. I'm still confused about their defense, even after that game, which I thought would provide clarity. The Colts destroyed you. And so, like, how many good offenses? are you facing in the year that we really have anything to be able to measure you on? And plus you're missing a lot of people. So how does everybody come back? And it's just a lot of questions about the defense, Scott, in my opinion, going into the playoffs. I feel, I know what the offense is. I know what they can do if they execute, if they beat themselves, you know, then there's a lot on the table, but the defense, I agree. I don't know if they're good enough or not. I agree. What I do like is if this team can get, Shaq Barrett back, Jason Pierre-Paul, Levante David back. If they can get them back and, and get their feet wet and get past Philadelphia, I I really like this team going forward. If you know if the defense plays well with their return, because I just I just think that you can kind of see all the pieces of the puzzle coming back together. It's going to really allow Todd Bowles to be more creative and maybe even more aggressive with some of his play calling, and that I think is where everybody wants the Bucks defense to be and and there's still time for the the team to get there there's still time with these guys giving back to health if if they can I don't want to say get by this game because I don't want to look ahead too much but 
But in, in order to get to the Super Bowl, you got to get through the Eagles, right? And yeah. if, if they can do that and these guys come back and, and get through this game, whoever their opponent is the week after, I think there's a chance this Bucks defense can even be better as long as they don't get bit by the injury bug again, which right. seems to be a problem. Now you've got Jamel Dean with some hamstring tightness. And it just seems like like this team is just not as healthy as it was last year. And it's frustrating because yeah. the talent is there for a repeat. It's right. just can they get all the bodies out there healthy to be able to put their best foot forward? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think that honestly is the Bucks' biggest opponent. It's not it's not the Eagles. It's not whoever they're playing. It's it's not even themselves. I think this mm-hmm. is a veteran, mature team that knows what it takes to win a Super Bowl. It's just that can they stay healthy? Right. I think right. that's that's the the uh, that's the invisible enemy is is the health bug. And especially within the context of the game, like they might have most of their guys to start the game, Scott, but then. Yeah. What about during the game? Like Jamel yeah. Dean has gone out of what six games this year. I mean, it's unbelievable yeah. how many games he's gone down in and been hurt in. And so that is a big yeah. point in and all John, of this. I think there's no sure way. There's no way the Buccaneers lose to the Saints if Mike Evans and Chris Goblin are in that game. There's yeah. no I mean, way losing those guys in Fournette in that game was yeah. just huge. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. There's and no so, way. Right. So that's going to be key. They've got, they're obviously not going to have Godwin. They're not going to have AB, but everybody else could be back for this game. Yeah. Everybody else could play that's on the scene that's a starter. So that's a big thing moving forward. If you can get everybody else back and keep them back, yes. but you've just lost so many people within games that even if you start 100% or what, 95% healthy with right. Godwin, you know, going into the playoffs, I, I, I'm just, I don't know if anybody is confident they'll stay that way given how the season right. has gone. And there's Sarah not Grayson's much logic to that. It's just one, a feeling. You know? Yeah. Sarah yeah. Grayson's another one. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens, but anyway, appreciate everybody jumping in. This is great. Everybody, if you could, before you leave, hit the like button on the show uh, coming out of here, give us a thumbs up that helps boost our YouTube SEO brings more people to the show. Numbers have been awesome lately. And that's yes, largely thank thanks you. to y'all. Y'all are, much. are killing it. Super chats and likes and sharing the link. And subscribing too. Subscribe to Pewter Report TV. We're going to be live. We'll be off tomorrow. We'll be live Wednesday as well. We're going to break things down Wednesday. This matchup, we'll go in depth, especially on the stats and the specific matchups in this game. Um, we'll go live on Wednesday at 4 p.m. and do that. And then Thursday night, 8:30 p.m. Eastern, is myself, Paul Atwell, and Mark Schofield. We're taking a detailed look at the Bucks' offense and what it can look like without Chris Godwin, without Antonio Brown moving forward into the playoffs. What changes for Tom Brady, for Mike Evans? for Rob Gronkowski and who steps up amongst the other what's left of the wide receiver yeah. group. We're going to talk about all that on, on Thursday night. So a full week of shows coming for your way. It's going to be awesome stuff. We can't wait to do it. And we appreciate you all. And thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Peter Report podcast. Out. Out.